Hello and welcome to Arts Talk Radio. I'm Michael Hasted. We bring you interviews as well as news and reviews relating to all aspects of the arts in Holland, concentrating on events in Amsterdam, The Hague, Rotterdam and everything in between or nearby. Talk Radio Online. Features on the arts in English. The abuse of power is a phenomenon we see over and over again in industry after industry. That was Canadian singer-performance artist Ronnie Tepper, who recently played The Hague as part of a European tour, and I'll be speaking to her later. There are currently quite a few major exhibitions in Holland, mostly celebrating the Golden Age, to coincide with Rembrandt's 350th anniversary. But there are a couple of other big shows, and our reporter Zoe Bass has been to one of them in The Hague. I have with me today Wendy Foss, an art historian, and she's here to talk to us uh, on Arts Talk Radio today about the Monet exhibition, which is currently on show in the new Kunstmuseum, uh, formerly the Gemeente Museum. Wendy, thank you for joining us today. You're welcome, Zoe. Now, uh, Wendy, I recently visited the exhibition myself, and the focus is largely Monet's water lilies, which he painted in the latter part of his life. Exactly. And indeed, he, he spent, is it, was it 20 or 30 years on this uh, rather special subject? A very, very long time indeed. And in, indeed, his final years, he dedicated to these uh, water lilies. So, um, yeah, it's quite an impressive oeuvre that you see presented there. Absolutely. Now, just you were explaining to me a little bit about his vision uh, what he was working towards when he began this long-term project. Could you could you explain that? Because I thought it was fascinating. Um, he basically started working on the water lilies, solely on the water lilies, around 1914, and that also was caused by a number of personal events that took place. Um, his second wife had died, uh, his eldest son had died, his daughter-in-law, uh, who happened to be also his stepdaughter, Blanche Oshie, uh, de Monet, uh, she moved back into uh, um, the house with him um, and he had been working on the water lilies for a while already experimenting with um, colour, with size the, the format of the painting could either be squares or medallions as you will see on the exhibition as well and then he is around, he's 74 at the time and um, Blanche kind of kicks him in the butt and says okay dad you have to 
do something and not, you know, just sit there and do nothing. Because he'd always been this great innovator. Of course, he's the father uh, of Impressionism together with people like um, Blanche uh, or with um, uh, Berta Morisot, for instance. She played a very important role also in Impressionism. Um, and so he was seen as this grand painter, already a master painter in, in the French um, world, but also mm. internationally speaking, um, and uh, so she Blanche says, "Okay, you have to carry on working." Uh, and then he decides to create his final project. He wants to go out with a bang, basically, mm. and he thinks that he's going to work about five years on this project, and he calls it "Grande Décoration." And the idea is to create like um, almost like an aquarium where you sit inside. And you're surrounded by these these large paintings of water lilies, and it's almost as if you're flying like a dragonfly over these water lilies. And the idea is that he's going to donate that to the Musée des Arts Décoratifs, so the decorate, Decorative Arts Museum, because he this is still the period of the Art Nouveau, so decorating uh, rooms with large panelling uh, is something which is very fashionable, which he had already done uh, for a number of clients, amongst which was also uh, Ernst Horschede, the father of Blanche. Right, OK. Now, he did finish some of this very large project. It took him a lot longer than he imagined. Exactly. But, of course, um, there was also there was some problems um, with, with lack of funds, um, so what was the final outcome then? Um, well, the, the idea was that he uh, created this this air, this large room, um, but then the second world or the first world war broke out, and then France won, depending on <laughs> from what perspective you look mm-hmm. at it. Uh, but anyway, um, his. A lifelong friend, Georges Clemenceau, who was a French president at the time, he said, why not turn it into a grand decoration uh, for the French state? And the idea of a museum kind of arose uh, instead of just a small uh, donation to the Musée des Arts Décoratifs. So uh, the idea um, was launched to create this museum. Um, so he decided to uh, do the, the project, but then on a larger scale, he also introduced or wanted to introduce like a large frieze um, painted um, with wisteria, so like hanging above the water lilies, these this frieze, this long uh, strip of mm. paintings of wisteria, um, but that fell through because there was not enough money. So therefore, he ended up with the orangerie, and there was no room for the wisteria painting. So it it was just the orangerie with the water lilies. Mm. But now there there was at least, if I recall correctly, one wisteria painting in uh, in the current exhibition. Well, to be exact, there mm. were four. Okay. He made seven in mm. total, but there were four, and one of them belongs to the collection of the Kunstmuseum. Uh, it was bought in 1961, um, and that has been under uh, that has been uh, restored because it was in very bad shape uh, not in a good shape or fit for the exhibition anyway Uh, so they worked on it for two years and they found out some interesting stuff while doing the research and the cleaning for instance Mm -hmm. because for one thing um, there was varnish on it and um, we know that Monet never used varnish anymore since 1915 so we knew that that was done 
way later afterwards um so they removed that uh, but they also saw that it was perforated that on a certain um on, on that when you stand in front of the painting on the left hand side it was perforated so you could see through like all these little needle pins uh, uh, uh holes uh in the canvas and there was also um like in the the wooden frame around it there were pieces of glass and pieces of metal because what happened the whole idea of the orangerie was then um, um, uh, it was like created. Uh, it opened in 1927, a, a few months after Monet died, but it wasn't received well. The Art Nouveau had already passed. It was seen was considered old-fashioned, and this was the work, as they said at the time, of a blind old man because he was diagnosed with cataract already in 1912. So his sight was failing him, uh, and people thought that this was just silly. This was decorative. It had no, you know, not content, worthy of not serious worthy consideration. Of, exactly. So it was all forgotten. Um, the orangerie was still in use, but it was um, neglected. Um, there were other exhibitions being held, so paintings were placed in front of the uh, water lilies of Monet, and during the Second World War there was a lot of damage, so the entire thing closed. So they, people forgot about mm. Monet, his water lilies. He was still praised for his work as an impressionist, but the water lilies were out of sight. Mm. But then comes an exhibition in Zurich, um, which was a co-exhibition with The Hague here, the Gemeente Museum. And then they dedicated an exhibition to the complete oeuvre of Monet, including the water lilies. And that is seen by the avant-garde painters of that time. And then we're talking about painters like um, uh, Mark Rothko, Barnett Newman, this, Ellsworth Kelly. The 1950s. The 1950s, mm. the late 1940s, early 1950s. Mm. These painters we now call, the that's the first American movement, the abstract expressionist. And with it you have like a, a different part which is called the color field painters. And these painters belong to that particular part and they were focusing on the effects of color fields mm. on paintings and when you're familiar with the work of Mark Rothko or Barney Newman you know that they are huge Absolutely. and you have these great color fields and as soon and it was um, Ellsworth Kelly who first saw the water lilies of Monet and they were in awe they all of a sudden realized what Monet had done and they had developed without ever seeing mm. The, these works of Monet because they were out of sight. There was no museum collection uh, that had them. The Orangerie was closed. So they were surprised by what they saw and they recognized in his work what they were doing. Mm. And then they fought really hard to get Monet back on uh, the list of the, you know, the predecessors yeah. of precursors of um, the abstract expressionists. And from then on, you see that the hundreds of paintings that were stored in the, um, uh, the workshop of Monet that everybody had forgotten about, they were worth millions. So the son of Monet, Michel, the only one who survived at the time, uh, he was sitting on a gold mine. So he started... 
you know, fixing all these paintings that had been damaged by the years of neglect. Mm-hmm. Um, they even made a stamp of Monet's signature because all those works there, they were never intended to be sold, to be exhibited, because they were all experiments. Mm-hmm. So you see that they all have this stamp on it. Uh, and then they were sold to all these international museums. So he made a fortune. Fortunately, he didn't sell all of them. And he also donated a large portion of it to the Musée Marmottan Monet, from which we now have loaned right. this, the majority of the paintings that you see. So the water lilies have actually rather special history all of their own within Monet's oeuvre. Exactly, and the funny thing is, whenever I do my tour, I always ask people, okay, when you think of Monet, what do you think of? And then they say water lilies, mm. and then I say, okay, isn't that because of the exhibition now, or is that the first thing when I wake you up at night, and I say, Monet, you will say water lilies, or maybe you will say something else. But mostly they confirm that they would say water lilies. So the funny thing is that before um, the 1950s, Monet was all about Impressionism. Mm. He was the father of Impressionism. As I said, um, uh, Berto Morisot also played a big part in it. But that's the thing. We always look at the men and not at the women. But that's it's another the, story. Another story. Um, but you see that, that the, the idea and the appreciation for Monet's work has shifted from his Impressionist work. doesn't mean that we don't appreciate the Impressionist work anymore. But nowadays, you don't see Impression Soleil Levant on the mouse pets and on the the pillowcases, no. you see the water lilies. Absolutely. So that's what now, that now is become all about. Signature. Exactly. In many ways. Exactly. Wendy Fossen uh, of uh, Casa dell'Arte, which specialises in art tours and all things related to art history. Thank you so much for joining us on Arts Talk Radio today. It was a fascinating interview. Thank you very much for having me. Arts Talk magazine provides the perfect companion to Arts Talk Radio with reviews and previews in English of cultural events in Holland. Whatever your interest in the arts, our international team of writers will always provide something new and exciting to see online. That's Arts Talk magazine, all one word, dot nl. Arts Talk magazine, dot nl. Ronley Tepper is a Toronto-based artist. She is as much a performance artist as a singer and very hard to pigeonhole. We met for a chat at the Stamboom Bar in The Hague shortly before she was due on stage and while another band was doing its sound check, I explained I was finding it very difficult to define her work. Very tough for me to define too. I think it's a, it's a, it's a genre blending. It's freak folk funk punk with elements of jazz and international music and comedy and theatre and uh, orchestral pop. Depends on the song and which character is singing the song. So do you regard yourself as a a singer, a a band, or more of a performance artist? I think I am a performance artist musician who plays with professional improvisers who fill my stories with their instrumental colours around me. 
Because you have uh, very often very strange and very different instrumentation, don't you? You yes. seem to be lots of different instruments. Mm. I saw a clip earlier, somebody playing a saw on a tram yes. or something. Mm -hmm. Good one. You, you, you did your research. <laughs> <laughs> So, I mean, you don't have a, a fixed band, per se? No, so I have a project. My, well, my name is Ronley Tepper, and my project is called Ronley Tepper and the Lip Liners. So I specifically named it the Lip Liners because it's a variety of different colors that you can choose to put around the voice, which is the mouth. So depending upon where I am, it's a, it's a rotating roster of improvisers that I invite. So depending upon where I am, like in Toronto, that's my base. I know tons and tons and tons of musicians, so um, when everyone's around, a lot of people are they're touring all over the place in a million different bands. Um, I invite people, if they can't do it, I invite another round of people, and sometimes there'll be three of us, four of us, five of us, sometimes 10 to 15. On uh, this particular tour that I'm doing in Europe, I have a core, a root, which is a trio. So it's me, Pavel Single from Czech, who is a violin player, and uh, a multi-instrumentalist, Tim Posgate, who in Netherlands is playing banjo, but when we play in other places, he plays other instruments as well, because we borrow instruments. Um, and uh, so that's our route. And then, depending upon where we are, we invite other improvisers from that region to join us. So tonight, for example, here in Den Haag, we have um, Hermans, who is a cymbalum player. She's also actually a multi-instrumentalist, but she's playing cymbalum with us tonight. So we're a quartet tonight. And last night was her first show with us when we played in Utrecht. And um, she just has to improvise with us. So she doesn't know the songs, but she just joins us and it's magical. So no show is ever the same. And I play off what the other people are playing and then we just sort of create a story from there. So how, how, does the, how do you decide what to do? Because as I said, your, your music is so um, eclectic. You, you can listen to songs where you sing in this sort of strange voice, mm -hmm. like, almost like Tom Waits. Um, there are other songs which are almost sort of pretty pop songs with a nice tune, nice melody, and you're all singing straight and conventional orchestration. So when you do a, a gig, uh, do you know what you're going to be doing? Um, I have a kind of a concept idea, um, but I sort of have to read what the audience is in the room. I'll play, I'll start off with somewhat something. I always start with the same work. That just is like basically puts me into character. So I'll do one of those works that is kind of like a Tom Waits voice. audience from there so if I can see even one smile from that moment then I know I'm going in the right direction and I can really go into an experimental kind of event that night if it's more people look like they're afraid then I know okay tonight is maybe more we go more singer-songwriter tonight we stick with like maybe not so many long jams and like avant-garde things will go for um, more things that are um, user-friendly or more popular music and did I detect some puppets in one? There's always a, at least one puppet will join us on the on, on the night. It's very important for me to have a puppet with me. <laughs> Why is that? Um, I guess it's like another instrument for me. So I 
I get bored of myself. So when I have another element to me, it gets me to be able to open up and, and take on even more characters because there's just so many characters out there. So it, it seems that really you are saying you're much more of a performance artist than a musician. That, that, that seems almost more important than being a character while you're performing rather than, mm. than yourself. Yes and no. So it's hard to say. I, I, I'm both. Like, I'm kind of... I can't... I, I'm, everything will always have, even when I'm doing things that aren't musically based, will always have music involved in it somehow or another. When I'm... But uh, for sure, when, like, this tour... It's music. But, but I think that... I'm an interdisciplinary artist, so more that than a performance artist. So I think it's important to, for my own like sanity, to to integrate many different things, or else I feel like I'm just writing the same song over and over again, and I don't want to do that. What are you basically? What were you when you started? What did you train as? Um, <laughs> I started as a poet. I took creative writing at school, and... Um, and uh, and I was doing short stories and poetry, and then I was also a hippie. I was a deadhead, and I used to tour around with the the dead. And I always loved jam bands, so I got for my 18th birthday a guitar as a present. I couldn't play it; like I didn't take lessons or anything. I learned three chords. I just played those three chords for years, and I was so bored that I just basically started taking my poems and started singer like singing with it and it, it was very singer-songwritery folk at the beginning and then I started working in a jazz bar and um, I worked in a jazz bar for six years and I met a whole bunch of different jazz improvisers and it sort of changed my direction completely and then um, and then I've always been into theater and uh, and I love Frank Zappa so it just sort of Developed and it just keeps developing. Like people keep feeding me. I keep getting invited to do gigs where I get to really elaborate and go kind of crazy with these kinds of newer concepts of performance art with music. That it just the songs just keep going that direction. Because I think the the visual aspects are quite important as well, aren't they? Because, oh yeah. Because a lot of your songs have got really nice videos with them. You know it. <laughs> Thank you for saying that. Um, yes. Well, that's again, it's the interdisciplinary. So the Lip Liners is not only just musicians, it's like um, uh, other puppeteers, there's video artists, there's projectionists. Um, and uh, I work a lot with Saul Letterman, and uh, he does a lot of live projections for us. Unfortunately, I can't afford to bring him on this tour. But uh, some of the shows that we have had, there's projection projector, and I can like put in like pre-recorded projections that I already have. I've worked with Davide Desaro, who is an incredible animator, and um, he seems to really like working with me. That he just keeps wanting me to send him more works to do more animations, um, and then it, it, it just evolves. So, say for example, my next project, I have a, a 11 new songs that I've recorded, and I have uh, 11 different um, illustrators and artists who are doing doing their interpretations of those songs into art that I will then animate uh, and and do works with and do live projections with for the future, for the next couple of years. I mean, it's very 60s almost, isn't it? These sort of light shows and, and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, I have the attention span of Sesame Street, so <laughs> I've got three minutes before I get bored. I need something to... So I think you need, especially in this day and age, more, I mean, that's not for everyone because I think there's some artists that, like, really, they could just be the, them and it's that's enough and it's really powerful. But for me, I, I feel that 
it matches having multiple characters in songs. It matches having um, all these different uh, varying artists and musicians coming and joining to always, as much as I can possibly add up there that in that moment in time, without it becoming complete chaos. There's moments where it feels like things are going to go into chaos, and then there's just then it fuses into this beautiful moment and then it sort of dissipates again and you just never know what's going to happen and that really for me is really important at this time in my in my my career but don't you think it's uh, sometimes a problem that you can't be i know people don't want to be pigeonholed but oh it's if, an if, absolute if, problem no no but, but it, it, aren't you sometimes maybe difficult to identify yes, it's a, people it's don't a know what they're going to get Let's put it this way. We played in um, in Czech. Um, we did ten shows recently there, and one of the at the end of like the show, I was talking to some of the audience, and one of the girls said, "You know, I I, I texted my friend and I said, you got to come, you got to show up, you got to this, uh, you got to come to this show." And he said, "Well, what is it? What kind of music is it?" She said, "I can't explain it. You just have to see it." And that's kind of really what it is. I mean, it has been challenging. I've had artistic directors tell me, like, oh, well, you're not folk, so I can't have you at my folk festival. I'm like, no, but we are. And then, and then jazz, you're not jazz enough. But we are. So, but it's hard unless you actually see the live performance. You can't really understand. You can see, like, videos and stuff like that. And I think it kind of gives a flavor. But if you go watch from one video to another, it's completely different. So... I cater my works uh, and my performance to the audience that I'm performing for that night. Okay, I think that will do. Um, Ronnie Shepherd, thanks very much. Thank indeed. you for having me. Well, carry a rose wherever you go, you just never, never know. And in the meantime, don't worry about those things, because inevitably they're coming. While the furfy petals fall Don't worry, look under There's more Rose I learned thorns were for prickling But I've been misled The rather a ladder to climb up to fly Fall. Don't worry, no.
Arts Talk Radio Online. Interviews and features on the arts in English. Well, I'm afraid we've come to the end of another edition of Arts Talk Radio. We'll be back in a week or so with some more interesting people to talk to. And in the meantime, if you have any comments we'd like to hear from you, please leave them in the comments box below. My name is Michael Hasted, and so until the next time, it's goodbye. Bye. (laughs) 